Hey gang, it's John. Look at this, we're back with a deep dive. It's been a while. I took a little bit of a break, but now we are back with a vengeance. And we get to hear with from one of our most popular guests ever, the great Eric Bazilian from the Hooters. Now, I don't know if you've gone back all the way into the archives. Eric, especially from the early days, is one of our most popular guests. Episode 33 or something like that. Go back to the 30s if you haven't gone all the way back in the archive. We had a fantastic conversation about four and a half years ago. Well, now we're back to talk about the Hooters' breakthrough album from 1985, Nervous Night. It was not their debut album. They put out an album a couple years prior to this called Amore that was independently released. And some of the songs on Amore were rejiggered, reconfigured, and reproduced for Nervous Night, which was a huge breakthrough. So two million albums had And We Danced Day by Day. They didn't sound like anything you'd ever heard before. The Hooters were such, still are, such an incredible American band. Uh, I really love these guys, and I've always really liked Eric, and I'm so grateful that he took the time to talk to us again about the making of this album. We go, of course, track by track. You know how it works. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this. It's funny. Uh, well, I don't know. It's funny. He, like everyone else, is quarantined, but he spends part of the year in Sweden. So that's where he was quarantining with his family when we had this conversation. Hope you enjoy it. You spend chunks of the year over there anyway? Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been here more than I've been in the States for the past three years. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so, I mean, we actually, we our house in, in Philly's rented out and we're, oh. we're renting a place here, so. Very nice. Your wife's yeah. from there too, right? Yeah, yeah, and my kids are, you know, bi, bi-national, bilingual. Okay, okay. Wow. Yeah, the world is upside down right now, Eric. Oh, man, it's fucking crazy. It is. It is. I don't know how old your kids are. Mine are 12, 11, and 7. And so we're all here every day. Every day is a fight to keep them from killing each other and being on screens all yeah. day. And You know what I mean? Yep. I know. Yeah. Well, mine, are, mine, are, mine are pretty grown. Oh, yeah. We got we got our youngest is 18, 19. She just turned 19. We got her back from Philadelphia. She's, she's going to Penn. We got her back on... The last flight through London. Oh, no way. Yep. Oh, wow. oh, wow. Okay. So, Nervous Night turns 35 years old this year, and people love birthdays and anniversaries that end in five or zero. <laughs> so, I don't know if that feels like a benchmark to you or not, but uh, who, I mean, who knew that we people would still be talking about and loving Nervous Night 35 years later? That's got to be kind of mind blowing for you. Really? Well, I don't think any of us were thinking about it back then, honestly. Yeah. But but yeah, time is mind blowing. Yeah. You know, yeah. how 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 slowly it goes sometimes and then how quickly it falls behind us. Yeah, it's so true. It uh it came out May sixth, nineteen eighty-five. And I was curious, what did you do the night before and the day that it came out? I'm <laughs> I'm guessing, you know, I'm guessing the whole band maybe is like maybe you all stayed at one guy's apartment or something and you had you drank some champagne or you went out to dinner or did you sleep very well did you go to the movies what did you do that night i have no idea honestly really it was, uh, yeah i mean you know we had we had worked on the album worked and worked and worked and then it was coming out i think we were i don't even know if i was aware of the day it came out mm-hmm. um, i do remember that we had a, a big dinner with the band 
and our whole team and our product manager from Colombia came down. That may have been the on the eve of or the day of release, but honestly, I don't remember. I, oh. I do remember we all went to this Italian restaurant, in, like in Upper Darby outside of Philadelphia. But, but you know, I wouldn't swear that that was the actual release. Okay. It was a release, but it was a release party. Okay. Okay. I just imagine, you know, you guys are, yes, you've had some experience. You put out your own album independently and you worked for Cindy and everything, but here's your first big thing. And I imagine that it's been built up, you know, guys, we're going to kill it. And, and we danced and we danced might even be on the radio already. And so you're just like, tomorrow's the big day. Our album comes out. It's going to be in stores. I can go down to tower and see it myself. But it sounds like that's not how you thought about it. I, we may have at the time uh, looking back, I, you know, it was just another day, you know, yeah. it was another, it was another significant day in a series of many significant days. I mean, every day in the studio, recording a guitar part, recording a keyboard part, yeah. recording vocals, writing verses to songs that we had to mix the next day and didn't have any verses for those were the really significant events. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Do you think if, if Cindy's album hadn't been so successful, would you have even gotten this opportunity? Do you think? Probably not. Really? Um, in all honesty. Yeah. I think that gave us a lot of ammunition. I think it gave Rick Chertoff a lot of ammunition to get us signed to Columbia. Yeah. You know, we had, we had the Philly stigma. Yeah. What, wait, wait, what is that? What's the Philly stigma? Well, we were too close to New York uh, and too far from New York. Uh. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of, you know, we were not the only band that had these incredibly, insanely rabid followings in Philadelphia. And the record companies, you know, they would fly to Texas. They would fly to, you know, to Florida. They'd fly to, to Illinois or Kansas specifically. Mm. But Philadelphia, nah, nah, nah. You guys come play in New York and we'll go see you. So... <laughs> You know, we'd go to New York and we'd play uh -huh. for 20 people and they'd go, oh, yeah, you guys are good, but it wasn't electric, uh -huh. quote, to quote one A&R guy. Wow. So, okay. yeah, you know, yeah, Philly, we were kind of like in this shadow zone. And huh. of course, af after we had our, our initial success, of course, everybody was was flocking to Philadelphia to see right. you know, who else was coming. Right. I assume it was always assumed that uh, Rick Chertoff would uh, produce this album. He's kind of your guy, your friend, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, after Cindy was, we'd had such success together with that. We'd always hoped to, to work with Rick because we loved him and, you know, yeah. you know respected him as, as, as the, the genius producer and A&R guy that he is. He wasn't totally on board from the beginning. I don't think he mm. really got what we were doing. I mean, he liked it, but as you know, in terms of having commercial potential, you know, he was kind of waiting and seeing. And I think after Cindy, and then after Cindy happened, and we really built our our local following. I think he, you know, he finally saw that we were ready. Mm. Mm. Okay. Now I had William Whitman on here last year, and we talked about him working with you do you have any william whitman stories he was i believe an engineer probably working behind the scenes on this album as well he was an engineer but i mean he was really a part of the production team was as he? much as we were all we were all really the production team on on cindy and on joan bill is one of the most talented people i i've, I've ever known you know yeah. not just as an engineer which he's the best at but as a producer as a as a player i mean he, he had some amazing musical input on, on on everything that we worked on together yeah 
Yeah. Um, you know, as, as a guitar player, I love working with him because he's one of these guys that will hear a part that I play and he'll like, he'll know what's, if it's 95% there, he'll know what the last 5% is. Uh, uh, he's the only engineer I've ever worked with where I'll play a guitar part. He'll say, yep, yeah, that played on that guitar. And I, I let him turn the knobs on the amp. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. Yeah, he was great. He's done a lot of fun stuff, too. We had a great conversation. Okay, so Nervous Night sells 2 million copies. And Rolling Stone names you guys the best new band of 1986. That's got to feel good. Does that come with any kind of a, do you get any, do you get a party? Do you get, do you frame the letter? What is, does that mean anything to you? Yeah. I mean, it did at the time. Sure. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it was just funny that the opening line of the, of the article, you know, who the fuck are the Hooters said. Right. Off. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. So, uh, I think we touched on this before, but let's talk about Live Aid for a minute. I mean, you guys kicked off the entire event in there in Philadelphia and, uh, that was Geldof's response, correct? When he saw that we were on the bill. Yeah. And honestly, I don't blame him. If I was Bob Geldof organizing, you know, the, 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 the Woodstock of the eighties and I saw a band on, on there that I, that I'd never heard of, I probably would have said the same thing. <laughs> Do you have any other record? I think we talked about this before, but I don't remember. Do you have any other recollections of that day? You were on so early that maybe no one was there yet. Not crowds were there, but no other major, you know, rock stars were around for you to buddy with. Were you kind of in and out? You know who was there and, oh. and, and actually shook our hands on, when we, on our way to, uh, to the stage and said, go get him was Jack Nicholson. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. There What's you go. cooler than that? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and Joan Baez actually played before us, and I got to meet her, which was significant oh. for me, because the first song I ever learned to play on guitar and sing was a Joan Baez song. No way! I didn't yep. realize that. I thought you guys kicked it all off. That's great! Oh yep. wow, Joan Baez, yep. nice. No, just the the whole, the whole Live Aid day. It was crazy. You know, there were 120,000 people there already when we when we performed. We got to welcome them to Philadelphia, and then. You know, the cavalcade of stars began at some point in the afternoon. I was being devastated by the heat. It was just crazy. And I thought, you know what? I'll enjoy this better on TV. So I actually went home. I lived, <laughs> I lived just a few miles away. I drove home, watched it on TV. And then I went back later for the uh, for the finale. Wow. And I got it. I got to ask, like, how was parking? You know, I'm just imagining you uh, shuttling back and forth when you come back later in the day and there's practically a million people there. Do you, can you just VIP park right up to the door because you I, played? I, I drove right in. Nice. Nice. That's yeah. Right. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, good. Now I, I was going to say, I think there's a movie to this, I guess to the making of this album. I've never seen it. I didn't even know about this. The making of nervous night. Well, it just, if I go by Wikipedia, an award-winning film starring the oh, Hooters is called Nervous Night. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was actually a concert um, oh. that we did at the, at the Tower Theater in October 85. We, uh, we actually, the Tower Theater in Philadelphia, it's sort of a legendary venue. David Bowie did a live album called, yeah. I think, Live at the Tower. Springsteen did an epic run of like four nights there. However, we hold the um, consecutive sellout record there still. Nice, of course you do. Five, five or five or six nights we did we sold out there. Wow. Um, yeah, the, the it's, it's basically that concert. 
there was an extended version of it that had some little, some, we each did a little personal, hey, this is who I am bit, which I don't have anywhere. It was on a VHS cassette that uh, ended up being drowned. Oh. Um, I, do actually, I do actually have the, the regular concert video in my Dropbox. I'd be glad to send it to you. Oh, yes, please. I was going to yeah. say, maybe that's in uh, on YouTube or something. Yeah, I'd love to see Might that. Be. Please yeah. do. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and then I wanted to ask you about the cover. I don't know which two guys got shafted being, you know, <laughs> being shadows, but uh, it's a great looking cover. I like the coloring and everything. Whose idea was that? That was sort of our thing for a while. We did that on the, um, on our, our Amore, our indie record. It was just sort of to spread the band out over the front and back and actually give people a reason to turn, to turn the record uh, over. Good idea. Um, you know, I mean, I guess it was, there was a bit of a, of a class separation there, which was, I regret at this point, but, it, you know, but, you know, David and I were the, David and Rob and I were the, the first three Hooters. I mean, Rob and I founded the band and it became a band when, when David joined us. So I guess that was our rationale at the time, but yeah, honestly, I guess it was kind of a dick move. <laughs> well, it looks great. And it, you know, cheap trick pulls similar things. I just wondered if, uh, yeah, if that exactly. was the thinking, if it was meant kind of as a joke or what, but, Okay. No, again, it was really just a visual thing. Like, you know, hey, who are these other two guys? Yeah, and, right. And to turn it over. Um, now, yeah, actually, it wasn't a dick move. It was a it was a well thought out graphic approach. There you go. There you go. Yep. And uh, I believe the album was recorded at the record plant. And I'm curious who else was bopping around that studio while you were recording this. Well, actually, we we cut the basic tracks were cut at the record plant, and then we did most of the overdubs in Philadelphia at Studio uh -huh. Four. Okay. Um, then we went back to the record plant to do the last overdubs, and, and while we mixed it, at, while Bill Whitman mixed it at Atlantic Studios, um, let's see who was bopping in and out. I remember Clarence Clemens was in there Ooh. doing Ooh. his solo record, and Bruce was in and out a couple of times. I know Kiss was in there when we were there. Wow. In fact, they borrowed one of my amps. They were trying to get a guitar sound. Really? <laughs> yeah. They, they, I let them borrow my Vox. Who else? You know, it's all kind of a blur, uh, yeah. honestly. Okay. I do know, I know when we were doing Cindy's album, Roberta Flack came in and she was, she had her, her ear to the door while we were doing time after time. And she was going, whoa, what's that? Ooh, Ooh that's nice. Yeah, if Roberta nice. Flack's impressed with what you're doing, that's a good sign. Oh, nice. yeah. Yeah. Yep. Great. Okay. So track one is And We Dance. This reached number 21 that year. She was hanging on Johnny, he was holding on tight. 
you know, I was going back and listening. I can't think of another song that I've ever heard on a pop radio station that starts out with a melodica and a mandolin. No song ever in history has done that except yours. You know, that's that's right. That's yeah. right. Good observation. Uh, R.E.M. did have a song that started with a mandolin, but true, not a melodica. Not a melodica. No. You know, it's unlike anything that's ever been. You're the only band that sounds like you. But I was, you know, I was going back and listening to Amore too, and there, the melodica only factors in on two songs on there: "Blood from a Stone" and "Fighting on the South on the Same Side." And oh, you're right. Yeah, and so when did? I mean, you obviously named your band the Hooters. I'm assuming that's why. But who made the decision? We're going to push the mandolin and the the melodica up to the front. We're going to be that band, the band that does that. Who made that, that choice? It, it just happened. It made itself. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we, at some point we tried putting melodica and mandolin on everything. And if either it worked or it didn't, you can't force yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, and we, and we danced started its life as a very different song. Ooh. It had, it had sort of a Calypso beat on an 808 drum machine. And, um, our first demo is, I think just mandolin, Casio, and, and an 808. Bear in mind that was on a you know a four-track cassette recorder up in, in in the Poconos, up in right. the mountains. But it really you know evolved, and then you know it turned into a rock song. And then I had the, this idea to to I think yeah to to play this mandolin melodica intro. Mm. Wow! And it just yeah it just evolved, and then you know day by day which has that mandolin on it. That was an afterthought. Day by Day originally had a um, uh, sort of an electric guitar riff, mel very melodic riff. And Rob came up with this uh, keyboard part, that da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh -huh. And uh, I said, hey, let, let me double that on the mandolin, and boom. Wow. So, yeah, wow. These, things all, these things all happen organically. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, when you were working on that demo that you mentioned of And We Dance, did you have a sense that you were on to something? You know, did you think, was it always obvious this was going to be a big single? No. Um, no. I mean, we, we, knew, we knew we had a great chorus. The original demo had a completely different verses. The bridge was there and the chorus. But, uh, I mean, we knew it was, it was great. But we... We, Rob and I went away for a week. We went, we went to this cabin in the mountains and we, we recorded a whole bunch of ideas and we danced with the last one that really? we had. Yeah. It's funny because I remember we wrote that chorus walking back from, from the, the nightclub where this uber cheesy band was playing. I mean, we were the only people under 70 there, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, it was cool. It was perfect sort of isolation for us. But we actually wrote that chorus, and it was very rare. It's very rare for us to write something strictly from a melody. Yeah. Usually, you know, there's there's a there's some kind of a instrumental riff that that we write around. But in this case, it was like the the, the melody just happened, and we got back to our to the cabin and 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 cooked up a, a little demo. Yeah. And we went back. We went back, and we met up with Rick, and um, played him everything we'd done in order and some of them were pieces were really weird mm. so, some of them were you know they were all good but they were definitely it was art art music yeah and then and then after he heard that when he said congratulations guys you just you just paid for your trip <laughs> or, or something to that effect <laughs> <That's great. laughs> nice. 
what is a bebop baby? Damned if I know. It's <laughs> it just worked. <laughs> it just worked. You know, there is actually I found out later there there is a song by Ricky Nelson called Bebop Baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah, it's a classic, and uh, you know, it didn't get as high on the charts as Day by Day, which we'll talk about next. But um, I think when we talked before, I'll never forget it. You said, "Yeah, there's a lot more meat on that bone," and I thought, what a uh, what a great way to def- to describe the you know the legacy or the the continuation of popularity for that song. There's a lot yep. more meat on the bone. I loved when you said that. Okay, number two, day by day. This reached number 18. rocker obviously i wondered if maybe that was why it was a little higher maybe people are confused or they're not used to hearing songs that are structured like and we dance kit was but then day by day comes along oh i can i can understand this this is more my language it rocks i'm i'm more familiar with this maybe that's why i got a little higher i don't know no Um, no idea no idea. yeah i mean there's so many factors involved there's so much so much of it is up to chance up to what other songs are are out that week how a radio program is feeling, yeah. you know, yeah. what, what favors the label owes them or vice versa. <laughs> so true. Um, you know, I mean, you know, and we danced this certainly stood the test of time better than day by day. Yeah. And, and we danced is the song that, that, you know, that still gets the most, the most airplay in, in the United States for sure. Yeah. Far way more than day by day. Yeah. I believe it. In some ways, that's a shame. I mean, we all have we all have the same beef with like classic rock radio. They play the same twenty songs mm-hmm. over and over. It'd be so nice if if they pulled out Satellite or Day by Day or Five Hundred Miles or anything, you know, something else. Well, it, the Hooters. Uh, it's funny because in Europe, you hear Five Hundred Miles, you hear Satellite, you hear Johnny B. You don't hear and we dance through Day by Day. Really? Yep. You know, I was noticing and getting ready to talk to you that your out each album after this one got more and more popular in Sweden, specifically where you are, and this one wasn't as much. So that makes sense why you're still so big over there. It just continued to grow, whereas yeah, in America, it didn't do that. As I like to sardonically say, we kept having bigger hits in smaller countries. <laughs> I like that. Good, okay. Um, are you playing the guitar solo in this song? Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I played all the solos on every song. Okay. Yeah, it's really good. Who makes the decision for that synth intro? Again, that was just an idea Rob had, and we all went, yeah. 
kudos to him. That was great. Just little stuff like that makes songs special. I love that he did it. He is, he, he is the master of chordal invention. I mean, really? listen, this is this is the guy that wrote time after time. Yeah, that true. Wrote the music for time after time. I mean, that's you don't, you don't get better than that. Yeah, very true. Okay, track three, All You Zombies. This reached number 58. And if I, was this actually the first single? Was the first single? Uh, funny story. Yeah. Uh, funny, I mean, that is that is that is the, the song that would not give up. Um, it was the first song that we wrote. That the, it was. It's the earliest surviving Hooters song. Oh. We wrote that in January 1980, and it was one of those things where it kind of wrote itself, and we knew that we had something really special. We had no idea that anyone would like it, but uh, we started. When we started gigging, we would we would often open our first set with that just to get it out of the way. We were playing three or four sets a night in, in bars, five or six yeah. nights a week. So we would open with that to get it out of the way. Then fast forward to 1981, we uh, we did a, a live radio broadcast with uh, WNMR in Philadelphia, and we did we did all you zombies. The next day, they start playing it like uh, in regular rotation. Yeah. Um, so that became our second single. Then we recorded it again on Amore, and that got airplay as well. Uh-huh. Then when we went into to, uh, to do Nervous Night, Rick turned off in his in his uh, sense of what's right and what can be great. Mm-hmm. Felt that there was untapped potential in the song and yeah. encouraged us to make the epic that it became the six minute epic. Yeah. Um, we sort of had this, we, you know, the wall was was. Our, our touchstone for that sort of thing at that at that point and our our mantra was what would roger do Ooh, interesting. so it turned in and I, I i kind of remember the whole evolution of that track um that arrangement uh, the, the little guitar riff at the end of the chorus that yes i knew that that deserved more of a role in the song so i said hey why don't we build a little intro around that and rob 
came up with that dum bum bum which is you know again that's a, a you know rob at his best oh. um <clears throat> and then you know we just built it from there and i, I had this idea to double the the, the 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 internal melody with the fuzzy slide guitar uh-huh. that i did um yeah it all again it all just kind of invented itself you know p- putting the delay on the on the rhythm guitar and the intros it all just sort of happened organically yeah yeah it uh, when you this is another one that was also on amore and when you go back and listen to that version you're right that, that, that was the word i wrote down too it gets turned into this kind of dark epic afterwards and there's a great we should give some i want to give some love to dave too who was sick in the drummer because oh. there's this fantastic shuffle beat going throughout the whole thing i mean i'm not a musician that's what i call it maybe it's called something else but he well, helps it's a, to... it's a reggae beat yes it's a, that's it's it. a drop reggae beat with, okay. with the kick drum on on two and four as opposed to one and three got it yeah it's so good and uh i'm you saying that about rick seeing more potential or all three of you really seeing more potential in this song you you nailed it you know it's an it's a an example of sticking with this thing and making it better and better. So I love that. Yeah. I mean, that it, it was, that was really a labor of love. And then maybe the greatest affirmation for that was in 88 or 89, when we played at the town and country club in London, Roger Waters came to see us. Oh, no way. <laughs> and he introduced himself. He extended his hand and said, hi, I'm your fan. And then uh, a year later we played at the wall. He invited us to play the wall with him, the wall no concert way. in Berlin. No way. Oh, man. We should touch on the lyrical stuff because we talked about this before. You you guys have a real fixation or fascination. I don't know if that's the right word. Maybe it's a an ability, I guess, to merge pop songs with religious, spiritual lyrics sometimes. Yeah, that's not intentional. Again, that uh, just happens. Really? That's, uh, yeah, I would say that the, those sort of lyrics, uh, like using us to convey yeah. them, their whatever their message is huh. which is which is not a religious message uh, we are not religious people okay um, I do have great curiosity about all the mythology that are, all the cultures of sure. uh, human civilization ha- have developed and and why uh-huh. but yeah, that's what they are they you know it's a mythology and it sort of got us from point a to wherever we are now i'm just going to point blank ask you i mean you're the guy who wrote what if God was one of us? Do you believe in God? Just because I don't believe in God doesn't mean I love her any less. <laughs> I just, I asked that, I mean, I wanted to be point blank because again, like we've said, religion or spirituality is a theme in so many of your songs. And I thought, is this coming from a guy who believes and is struggling with that? Or is this coming from a guy who doesn't believe and he's dealing with that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I, 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 I can't really give you an answer. Huh. Um, I guess it's both. <laughs> okay, maybe. It's, it's kind of both. You know, I don't have any answers. You know, my, my, my rational brain, on the one hand, can't imagine that all of this happened by chance. Yeah. On the other hand, I can't imagine some, you know, creative intelligence out there that, that made it happen. And, and if so, where did that come from? I know, I know. So, so... Yeah, I mean, you know, people ask me, why don't you believe? Why don't you believe? I'm like, show me the money. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. You know, and they say, well, you know, every time you take a breath, <clears throat> that's the money. And maybe it is. But I, I you know, until until further evidence is presented to me, that's the way it's going to be. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I hear you. I hear you. It's, uh, it's one of those journeys everybody has to go on and kind of figure out. And it never, I don't know. I mean, some people think they figure it out and then it's in concrete in their mind forever. I, I'm not like that. It's fluid. You're always kind of trying to deal with it. Okay. Track four. Don't take my car out tonight. be honest this one's my least favorite song on the album i don't dislike it but compared to everything else that i love so much this one's the one i i'm yeah. least excited well, about it's certainly low on the emotional connection scale <laughs> um that actually that actually came from the same batches as, as as um uh and we danced from our little trip to the mountains oh, it wow. was a great riff it was a great riff great melody that, that keyboard melody is great yeah. We wrote the chorus pretty quickly, and then like verses. Oh God, how do we make verses? And then you know we ended up just sort of writing a nothing lyric that sounded good. The only thing that makes me really like that song is, I remember one night that summer I was on South Street in Philadelphia, and I heard the song blasting from a car, Ooh. and I see this car pull, pull up with these four, you know, twenty-year-old girls in it, totally rocking out to it. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i did that we made that, that that's validation right there doesn't yeah, get any I mean, better good it's rock and roll it's, yeah that, that's a that's a rock and roll song yes it is i and again going back to your unique sound i can't think of another song well i we've said we've said i've said that many times but to have almost like a hard rock almost a heavy metal guitar riff mixed with a melodic the the riff of the song is this melodica doing the da, 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 you know yep. that nothing else sounds like that and um the chorus is great and there's a fantastic sax solo in there and i believe you were playing the sax i was that's right gosh you're a talented guy eric well i can i can do a lot of things fairly well <laughs> well good enough man it was great and uh i think i can hear is there a little bit of marimba in this song um, that's a keyboard. That was probably Rod's okay. DX, the DX7, yeah. which was a ubiquitous, horrible, horrible digital synthesizer back then that everyone used on everything. <laughs> it was like laser beam through the ears. Oh, that's funny. 
you know, I've heard this album a million times, but listening to it under a microscope to talk to you, you, I hear, I don't even have words or names for all the little sound effects that are going on in every one of these songs that make it layered that I didn't even, I've never picked up on before because they're just sound good. They just sound good. But when you really put it yep. under the microscope, there's so much going on. So, yeah. Okay. Take it, don't take my car out. That's a fun song. It's just not my favorite on this album. Yeah. Well, we don't, we don't, we don't do it live generally. So. Yeah. I wondered. I, I'm, well, I'll just ask you, I was going to ask you this later, but I'll ask it now. I mean, is there, a, are there, do you, have you played every one of these songs at some point since the release of this album? Or is there anything that just completely fell by the wayside? Well, I mean, we have played them. Yeah. Not a lot. I mean, don't take my car out tonight. And um, certainly, she comes in colors. The the cover, the love cover, uh, uh-huh. are for, certainly the, the the least performed. Ah, oh, okay. Because you know, sometimes I you hear about this. Bands will almost write something in the studio for the album and never ever perform it again. You know, yep. it's there on that record, and that's it. It's like it died. And I wonder if any of these songs fell into that category. Okay, nervous night. The title track. I got a little story about this one. So okay. my my CD, my Nervous Night CD, it was all scratched and beat up, and I had had it for a long time. Speaking of religion, a guy from church died uh, a couple of years ago, and his sister gave me all of his CDs. And he had a very nice, pristine version copy of Nervous Night. And I thought, oh, I'll switch it out. I'll sell my copy, and I'll hang on to his you know, you know beautiful one that's never been touched. I pop it in my CD player to get ready to talk to you, and Nervous Night is not on this CD. It was on my my original copy that was scratched up, but it's not on this one. How in the world are there versions of this album without the title track on it? Nervous Night is not on the vinyl version. It's not? Nope, it is not. What's the and thinking the whole, here? Well, the, the thinking was that when you went over 18 minutes on side of vinyl, you'd lose level. Ah, uh. And and uh, bass response, and it would have made the album asymmetric, uh, you know. And we just felt like Nervous Night. It was the sort of the 
at the time we thought it was kind of the weak sister of the songs. Uh, I mean, it is, a, it is a weird ass song, although people <laughs> love it. But I mean, the whole idea was that it would be on the CD. So if you have a CD that doesn't have it, uh-huh. that's an anomaly. I don't know where oh. that came from. That's a collector's item. It's really? probably worth 50. Yeah, I'm sure it's worth 50 cents to someone. I've never heard about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, unknowingly kept the collector's item version and got rid of the version that had the the whole thing on it. And I'm kicking fact, myself for it. I'm curious. You know, are, uh, I don't know if you if you're on the uh, the, the Facebook uh, Hooters group. There's a really nice group that's uh, that's uh, curated by our friend Christine in Germany. Ah. And she's collecting stories for the 40th anniversary and, you know, m- memories. But if you were to go on there and, you know, post something about okay. the fact that you have a CD that does not have Nervous Night on it, does anyone else have it? I'd really be curious. I am too. Oh, good. Okay. I'm going to go do that after we're done. That's great. Now, yeah, is, on, is the song on, on, on the cover art? Uh, no. No, it's not even listed. And I just didn't even, I had no idea there would be a sep- a second version. So, I yeah, wonder so, if that's, I wonder if that's a bootleg. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's only possible. nine songs on it. And, uh, well, well no, not, not Nervous Night would be the ninth song. Yeah. Uh, well, on mine, it was, uh, well, on the original version, I believe it's the fifth song. Right. Um, right. But on, yeah. And mine, you know, it's got the Columbia. It doesn't look like a, uh, like a, a bootleg. bootleg. That's no, weird. It's got a barcode. So, and so the cover art doesn't have, doesn't include Nervous Night either. No, Mm-mm. that's crazy. Yeah, I got screwed in the deal, but um, yeah. at least I had downloaded my original copy to iTunes, so it's there. But I, yeah. uh, I just can't imagine uh, owning the album without that song on it. It's so good. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, that was that was the last song we wrote. We we wrote that one in the studio. We had gone to see um, Jaluka, Johnny Clegg's band, um, oh. while we were doing while we were uh, tracking Nervous Night and. We were huge fans, huge fans yes. of him, and, and that, and uh, we got to be friendly friends with with Johnny later, which was great. And sorely s- sad about his passing yes. this, oh. this year, last year. But um, so we sort of had this, you know, this this African thing, which when, well, we'll we'll get to that when we when we get to um, to hanging on a heartbeat. But that was you know sort of the guitar part from that is sort of that township finger picking thing that 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 he that johnny and sipo did so well and then the chorus came and we had to write verses and sort of like don't take my car out tonight we just needed something to sing and we ended up writing this fanciful story about i don't know what wow there's another great sax solo in here by the way that's you i'm picking yeah yeah that was a good one yeah why why uh who made the decision to name the album nervous night then uh, we all did. I don't really? know who first, whose whose lips it first came out of, but it was like, yeah, well, why don't we call the album Nervous Night? Yeah, that's a great album title. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah, it's a classic song. I like it a lot. Um, the next track is Hanging on a Heartbeat. This one, now I was curious about this because this is also a holdover from Amore and according to Wikipedia, was uh, released as a single when it was on Amore, I yeah. believe. But yep. not on your album. Why? No. Why did it not be, get released a second time?
Well, because we had four singles already from the album. Oh, okay. And it's funny, in some ways, when we re-recorded uh, Hanging on a Heartbeat, it wasn't broken, we fixed it. Like, when we do when we do Hanging on a Heartbeat now, we do the Amore version. Mm, That's really? how it was written. We, yeah, we wrote it as that sort of reggae rock thing. And when we went to re-record it, it's kind of like we, we already have that version. Mm. So let's try something different. And then I came up with that guitar line. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rob came up with the bum ba dum bum bum again that DX7 marimba sound, and um, we just thought, you know what, let's let's just let's just run with this. Yeah, you know, it's cool. It's, I mean, you know, I'd say they're separate but equal. Okay, okay. It's written now. Forgive me, I don't, I don't know enough about all the other guys who have been in Ho- the Hooters besides mm-hmm. you, Rob and Dave, usually. It's written by a bunch of names I didn't recognize. Yeah, well, Rob and I came up with the chorus. And I had a couple of really good friends then, still friends with the surviving Mm. of the two, um, uh, Glenn Goss and uh, Jeff Ziv. Glenn passed away last year. But uh, they had a band called the Rangos, and I was sort of, I was the producer and the guitarist. And during during the ramp up to the Hooters, we, we... did a wonderful body of work, which sadly never saw the light of day, but I really liked them as, as songwriters and collaborators. So I took the chorus to them. I just said, Hey, I want to record this. And I was going to write the verses myself, but they kind of chimed in and was like, wow, Hey, that's great. So I did a demo with them where I played everything. I I even played the drums. Mm. And then I brought it back to Rob, who was probably a little nonplussed at the fact that I'd taken it. Um, sort of unilaterally and said i'm gonna but he was a good sport about it and you know it was a it was a great song and it happened the way it happened and i'm I'm just i'm really glad that those guys got to have their names on the album and they got to have you know a song that had some some commercial response because they really are tremendously talented and awesome people good that's good. Um, I, one thing I was noticing when I was listening to it is that the synths, going back to Rob again, there's a slight Who's Eminence Front vibe in the synth that's going on underneath. Yep, absolutely. Good. good. Yep. I'm glad I'm not wrong. Yeah, just when you listen to these albums under a microscope, you pick up on all kinds of different things. Uh, okay, there we go with uh, Where Do the Children Go? This reached number 38.
third and i believe last time you guys cracked the top 40 unfortunately even though yep. satellite is one of my favorite songs of all time and that deserved to be way up there as well i am curious how you got patty Smythe to baby to basically uh duet with you on this one well rick and bill had both worked with her a lot bill engineered the warrior album that's right and uh, and since she was on i think she was actually on epic but rick was involved in the a and r for for that record so yeah I mean, we asked her and she said, yeah. Great. Uh, I was noticing that Cindy's not on here. And I wondered if that was on purpose. Well, <laughs> it was on purpose by her. Um, oh. Initially, our our intent was to have it sort of a double duet. Mm. It was going to be Rob and Cindy and me and Patty. Um, mm. And first Cindy said yes, but then she said no. Oh. So it was just Patty. Weird. Now, that track really has, has a long and winding road behind it. Really? Yep. It started as a completely different song. Um, it was originally based around the guitar riff that comes in in the middle of the second verse. Mm. That was the riff of the song. Uh, it was a completely different lyric. I believe it was called Fly Too High. Huh. The melody on the chorus was sort of in the same place that it ended up. But we had, you know, we had what we thought was a really great chorus. Mm -hmm. and something like a verse melody and we kept trying to write lyrics and kept trying to write lyrics and we couldn't write lyrics in the meantime we tracked the song with the guitar basically just guitar bass and drums uh rob put his keyboard pad down on it and then i don't know whose idea it was to play the mandolin on it probably me but yeah i, yeah. I think it was me i said i have an idea take out the guitar let me just play to the bass drums and and uh keyboard it's funny because I, I heard the count off wrong and the riff that I heard in my head, I ended up putting in, in what I thought was the wrong place. Ah. But ah. I kept on going. I kept on going and I did the, in, in, the entire one take uh, of the mandolin. And, and when it was over, I said, OK, let me punch in the, the intro because I did it wrong. And they were like, are you kidding? That's the best part of the song. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's um, great. So. So then we had this amazing track with this mandolin and guitar that would come in halfway through and this beautiful keyboard pad. All we, what we didn't have was a song. Uh -huh. And, and I, you know, at this point we were, we were simultaneously mixing the tracks that were done. And uh, Rob and I had the record plant locked out and we, 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 we weren't allowed to go home for the weekends. We were staying and working. I, I remember I had all of the instrumental mixes on my four track and we would sit in the in the uh the studio rooms in b at the record plant and try to write these songs and i i remember sitting at the piano and playing down 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 
and Rob heard that and came over and he went dum 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 dum. Oh, nice. And then I went dum 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 dum, and he went dum 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 dum. It really was just a wow total. You know that was that was us at our best. Yeah. Um, now we did have a lyrical concept for the song, though we didn't have any lyrics to that concept. There, there was an article in Philadelphia Magazine about uh, this um, string of, of teen suicides in Quakertown, PA. Ooh. And somehow we thought we're going to write about that really uplifting thing to write a song about. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, and we, you know, we tried to channel that and it was just, you know, not good, depressing. We couldn't get on a flow with it. So again, it was, it was like, let's just find something. To say. And I don't know which one of us sang the line, where do the children go? It might've been uh -huh. me. I'd say 60, 40, it was me. And then I think Rob probably said between the whatever, whatever, and darkest uh -huh. day. It just, again, then it just sort of wrote itself once we were, we got in wow. the flow. And of course, you know, after we were finished, we realized that we had in fact written about what we wanted to write about without actually writing about it. Good point. Yeah. I mean, you know, people ask, what is the song about? You know, people thought, you know, I mean, I guess on the, the grander scale, it's about, you know, loss of innocence and, you know, what mm -hmm. happens, you know, what happens yeah. to these, you know, these beautiful innocent children that we have. As yeah. a parent, I can certainly relate to that. Um, so true. Although, you know, I've been really lucky because my beautiful innocent children <laughs> have turned into beautiful, awesome young Great. adults. Good for you. Good for you. I aspire to that. Yeah, I was curious. I mean, it's kind of heavy subject matter. I am curious, you know, who is the deadly piper? I wondered if you thought about that. Yeah, you know, that's funny. That's still not my favorite line in the song. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I, that wasn't my mind. I mean, I, I, I get it. It mm -hmm. works. It's a little heavy handed, but I couldn't think of anything better. So it yeah. stayed. <clears throat> well, it works. Um, I guess the deadly piper is, you know, life and and you know, loss of innocence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a classic tune and unfortunately it was your last top 40 hit, but it deserved to be up there for sure. Well, it, and it was our highest charting uh, video on MTV. Oh really? Yep. Oh, I think no it way. went to number two. Number, I think day by day was number three and that was number two. Huh? I never, I don't remember that. That's wild. Okay. Yeah. It, it was a live the, video. The, uh, Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, the uh, I was just you know in getting ready. I, you, it seemed like a perfect opportunity for Cindy to kind of pay you guys back a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not trying to. I don't know if I'm stirring anything yeah. up or not. But it just was like, you know, we helped you. Why don't you come make an appearance on our album? She's super hot at the time, you know, and uh, but she's not. And so I wondered if something went wrong or if that was a conscious decision. You know, we could put Cindy on here since we just played her album, no, but no. we're not going to do that. No. Well, that would have been great, and it would have it would have helped would have helped us a lot, I'm sure, and it probably would have helped her too. But it was yeah. her decision, and okay, you know, she did she did she did come to the party two albums later or three albums later when we did uh, did Out of Body, and she did mm -hmm. uh, Boys Will Be Boys with us. Yeah, but it was too late. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now South Ferry Road. This is my favorite song on the album. Mine too. It's my favorite Hooters song. I think I remember you saying that. So why? Why do you say that? The night we stole the moon, a pirate's pirate 
I can't even tell you rationally. There's something about, there's a lot of me in that song, not to discount anyone else's uh, input into writing the song because we really wrote the, certainly wrote the verses all together. But for some reason, I, I channeled something in that chorus, um, something very deep and and even even the title is a, the weirdest thing because we, we had written the chorus, you know, I thought I was lost, carried me across, laughing through the fallout zone, which is a total Springsteen ripoff. Uh-huh. He used fallout zone in, in growing up. You touched me in a way I'd never known. And then I'm going down again. And we knew that it was going to be something, something road. And that night I just sat with it. And, you know, the word South Ferry Road came to me, which to me meant just think about you know, a crossing, something yeah. that happens where that, that, and the fact that it was south sort of put it into like the net other regions. So I kind of had yeah. this little, little uh, sexual coming of age thing to it, Ooh. you know, kind of to all the girls I've loved before. Yeah. I don't think anyone's ever picked up on. So it was kind of my to all the girls I've loved before. Yeah. I, I suppose. But, but it really was a song about, you know, about, um, you know, coming of age and some way. I think of it musically as well, you know, and I, you know, I put, put Rob and Rick and, and all the, the guys in the Hooters and all the people that I, that have really helped me in my, my journey uh-huh. as it were. But, uh, and you know, the verses I don't really get, we needed something to sing. It's a nice sounding story. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's not, I can't give a, a rational, answers to why i love that so and i love the guitar the guitar part in that yes. is just that that's that's me doing what i do best the best i can do it i uh, i love it too like for instance i think it's the second verse when it when you sing the line about the night you stole the moon and underneath that the there's kind of this chiming guitar intensity happening that's not happening in other parts of the song and it's really hitting me emotionally right then too i love little sprinkles of magic like that I think that's Rob's keyboard thing you're thinking is about. Is that Rob what is, it is? It might be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was just brilliant when he when he did that. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I love playing that song, and to, and believe me, singing and playing that guitar part at the same time is really patting your head and rubbing your belly at the same time. <laughs> Which I can also do, so I guess it's not that big a deal. You're multi-talented. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic. Do you work this one into the live set anymore? Where, where does oh, it yeah. stand? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, when we have like a 70-minute festival set, we don't do it. But but that's number three of the rockers behind uh, and we dance them day by day. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I love it. That's uh, That's my favorite song in the album, too. It's so good. Okay, she comes in colors. Second to last song. It's a love. It's a by the band Love. What made you decide to cover this song of all things? Whoa, 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 my 
Well, not a lot of people by the 80s were really aware of, of love. Very and, true. That, that amazing body of work. And um, actually, that we had that idea on that same writing trip when we were up in, up in the mountains. Um, we, we did a little demo of it just for fun. And uh, Rick heard it and thought, hey, that's really cool. Let's, let's just do it. And, you know, we cut that track. The track is amazing. I mean, Dave yeah. totally nailed that in one take. Really? And, you know, yep. And then, you know, I came up with that with, I think, a pretty cool guitar part, which was sort of a sort of an amalgamation of the guitars and the, the harpsichord on, on the original Love's original recording of that. OK. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if the singer songwriter in Love. Um, uh, uh, in Arthur Lee. Oh, uh, yes. Thank you. Arthur yeah. Lee. Right. Yeah. Oh, John Eccles. John Eccles was the guitarist. Oh, yeah, okay. you know that Arthur Lee would hear this and uh, and come see us, which he did. He actually came to our show at uh, at the Greek in L.A. No way. Yep. Really. Yep. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I got to give a shout out to Andy King, who was your bass player at the time. His bass is excellent on here. Thank you. I played that. Oh, you did. Oh, <laughs> actually, I, I actually I actually played bass on the whole album. Did you? I wondered. I, it wasn't meant as a slight to anybody. It was just kind of like we we knew exactly what we wanted, yeah. and studio time was very expensive then. Yeah. And by the time we had demoed the songs, I'd played all the bass parts exactly the way we want we wanted them, and it was just that much quick quicker and easier for me to do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's you know, uh, out of necessity. Sounds like yep, why not? Yep. Yeah. I mean, sort of like Tom, you know, Tom Schultz played all the guitars and all the bass on the Boston records. Yeah. Yeah. Well then hats off to you. Cause it's uh, I mean, there's a lot of great parts in this song, but I was noticing how kind of driving the baseline was. And if that's you, then that's great. Cause it's really good. Yeah. And I still have that bass. I still have that bass. It's a 66 Fender precision bass that I got in 82. That's and great. It's still my alpha. It's still my alpha bass. It's the, yeah. it's the one. Well, good. Uh, okay. The last track, blood from a stone.
Yeah, Blood from the Stone was definitely was definitely the it wasn't broke and we fixed the track on Nervous Night. <laughs> yeah, it's another I, holdover I, from Amore. So it, uh, but yeah. this version obviously sounds more, you know, full bodied than the other one does. It sounds more full bodied, but it does, but it doesn't have the charm and mm-hmm. the, the chaotic energy that the original has. I don't know why we recut it. And, and we took the key up too. We took it up to A, which made it harder to sing. I guess we thought that would be a more rocking key, uh, which really put the onus on me because I sing the high parts on the uh, on the chorus. You know, we, we did what we did, and, and that's how it came out. But when we when we play when we play it live, we, we do the um, we do the Amore version. Amore, okay. Now this song was covered by the Red Rockers, who William produced. Yep. Were you? Uh, yep. Did you and, know them at all, or involved in that at all? Oh yeah, very involved in it actually. Bill was going to uh, was producing that album, and and um, or did he or didn't Rick produce that? Or did, I think they produced it together. Did they? Uh, okay, I think I think Bill I, produced their last album. I, I, I'm now that you say this, I'm not 100 percent sure. I just know he worked on have, it. Have to fact check it. I think it was Rick and Bill together. Okay. But Bill had this sense that the song wasn't finished, hmm. that it needed an, a, a pre-chorus. So Rob and I wrote this pre-chorus which uh, honestly i actually prefer the red rockers version of the song and i lobbied to record it that way really nice yeah i love i love that pre-chorus yeah um, especially the second one i forget the the, the something that uh my pockets empty uh the god we trusted has turned against me like come on nice great line but uh, i was out i was i was outvoted for that one so oh, so and it's, it's fine and honestly, if we had done it like that, our Philly fans would have would have uh, risen up against us. Probably. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. Um, yeah, this one sounds like a lot of fun to perform. Maybe it's not, but as an outsider, I'm You know, your your voice sounds especially kind of uh, gritty, or like you're you guys are just working real hard, having a good time, making it jamming. Kind of. I don't know how else to describe it other than it just sounds really exciting. You know. But maybe it wasn't like that. No, totally, totally like that. Okay. We, we, you know, if, when we do it, we do it at the end when it's, you know, it's a, a sweat drenched. Yes, uh, party. that's it. We, we have to be careful with, with that one because the tempo tends to totally run away from us and it becomes impossible to sing. Um, <laughs> but we sometimes we do it in our unplugged set. Lately, when we do it, we do the first verse and chorus, just guitar and uh, very, very uh, clean guitar and uh, an accordion just to get the lyric out because the song is really all about the lyric. Yeah. It's okay. funny. The, 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 the original title of the song was the social security song parentheses blood from the stone. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, and it's, I mean, it's funny because in a way it could sort of be a red state anthem. Ah, uh, okay. <clears throat> Cause it really is sort of about like, you know, wasteful spending and, and fiscal irresponsibility. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know what? You can't pin that on either side now, or you, it's true. you have to pin it on everyone because we're all we're all doing it. But that, you know, that's what it's about. You know, okay. I mean, it's about you know, you know, are we ever going to get all this back? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I am curious about sequencing. Sometimes people just agonize over the sequencing of their albums. Was that? Did you guys do that too? And if you did, why did you feel like? I mean, it makes, I think this is a perfectly sequenced album, but I'm curious what you think. Why was this song best suited for the last track? Because we wanted to go out rocking. The song had already sort of lived, lived its life in, in Philadelphia. 
we didn't have any aspirations for it as being a, a national international single mm. um and uh, yeah it just it just worked you know we didn't agonize a lot over over the, the single we knew and we danced had to start the album mm-hmm. and then uh, day by day was a great one two punch and then you know the third track at that time you know we always conceived of as being sort of the the hidden blockbuster yeah. um which was certainly zombies I mean, the same thing on 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 cindy's album time after time's the third track mm. nice there is a great story about why all you zombies was the first single tell me so we went to master the album with uh the the late great george marino mm. the the legendary wonderful wonderful brilliantly talented mastering engineer who's done everything google him and you'll see what he's done it's it's uh astounding okay um so we went in and you know heard it through his system which was amazing and we heard everything we'd done right and a couple of things we'd done wrong which he was able to fix and then after he'd done we'd done the last track he said so he asked us so what's the single and rick uh turned to him and said well what do you think and george without missing a beat said well obviously all you zombies that's the most commercial song <laughs> and we looked at each other and went wow yeah okay i mean it's funny because in some ways that is still probably the defining song of the hooters that's probably the most universally known song you know between all the all the different countries that had different different hits that's the song that every the most people probably have in common yeah and if i were to put you know name one song as the quintessential hooter song i would probably make it that really Boy. Yeah, even though it does has neither, it doesn't have a hooter. It does have a mandolin on it. Yeah, on the choruses. Um, but yeah, I, I would say it's that. It, huh. it did go to no, it did go to number one in Australia. Oh really? <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, one thing I was noticing is that you've had very little chart impact in the UK, and uh, yeah. you know, so often it's the UK and the US that are sort of vying for popularity. I guess. But were you guys just kind of a non-entity over there? We actually had our 15 minutes there. Oh, you did? Tell me yeah, about it. We did. Um, we, I remember we were in North Carolina, and we got a phone call that said, you guys are flying from Raleigh-Durham to London tomorrow because you're going to be on top of the pop. Satellite is, mm-hmm. is, uh, has, has charted there. Nice. So we flew to London, and, I mean, for me especially – I guess for everyone, you know, we were doing what we were doing because of the British bands that yeah. had come over. Anglophiles. Yeah, Anglophiles. You know, we are, you know, this is our big payoff. We're going, we're going to England, and now it's really going to happen for us. Yeah. You know, they treated us like royalty. Uh, I remember, you know, Rob and I did a whole bunch of press. We, 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 flew, we went to Glasgow to do a TV show. So we were in the car on our way over to, to the BBC studios to do, uh, to, you know, to do Satellite. And uh, I asked the, uh, our, our, the label guy, so who else is on the show? Paul McCartney. Oh, no way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so we walk in, and Paul is on stage with his band, with Linda and his band, rehearsing. Now, um, Top of the Pops was a playback show. You know, we, uh-huh. it was, it was right. all, all lip syncing. But Paul and his band were set up with real amplifiers and live mics on stage, they were playing along to the record, but he was singing and they were actually playing. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. So they finished their rehearsal and, you know, everyone in the studio, all the crew and 
other artists, you know, were lined up to, to, to say hi to Paul. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm not going to bug him. I'm, I'm, I'm too cool for school. You know, if uh-huh. we meet, that'll be great. <laughs> and then you know, the, the last guy from the crew walked away and there's Paul, you know, five feet away from me. So I, okay, oh. this is my shot. So yeah. I walk up to him with my hand extended. I say, hi, Paul, I'm Eric. From, oh, you're Eric from the Hooters. Yeah. Love your video. Great music, man. Really? Linda, come meet Eric. She came over. She loved my jacket. I had this, I had this um, jacket I'd gotten in Paris. I'm like, oh, my God, where did you get that? I love that. Oh, Come back to the dressing room. Hang out with us. So I, I hung out with them for like two hours. I ran out of questions to ask Paul. <laughs> wow. And he answered all of them. You know, all of my geek, you know, yeah. geeky questions like, you know, what guitar did you play the Taxman solo on? Wow. Now, was it just you or did the whole band go in there with him? I think I was the only one that was in the dressing room with him, oh, although he, goodness. you know, but, you know, he was wonderful to all of us. We got yeah, a picture taken yeah. with him. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, really, he could not have been a nicer, total gentleman. That's great. I've had so many people on here who have worked with him and everyone says nice things. Yeah. yeah. Fun, it's funny. He said to me that that the, the video reminded him of Talking Heads. Ooh. Which I guess it did. You know, the video was really weird. It kind of had that wacky dystopian yeah. thing that Talking Heads did. David Hogan did that video. It was a, a cool video. God, it got some traction over there yeah. anyway. Oh, that's wild. Good for you, man, to but have that kind of moment. You know, but sadly, you know, that was it for us in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, yeah if I look again, go, according to Wikipedia, satellite reached number 22 and Carlo with a K reached number 81 and that's it. Yep. Yeah. Although although Carla was used in a Beamish Stout commercial in the UK, so <laughs> at some point everyone in England knew the song but didn't know who it was by. Who was wild? And you would think with your Celtic, you know, the mandolin and and that kind of influence, even the reggae. I mean, those guys were so into dub and everything like that for a while. Yep. You'd think you guys would have a better stronghold over there, but no. I wonder why. Uh, I was going to ask you, when we originally started talking about doing this about six months ago, I had, I thought about maybe doing Zigzag because it was the 30th anniversary of Zigzag. And you said, that's my least favorite uh, Hooters album. And I wondered, yep. I wanted to ask why. It, cause, because we were a kick-ass rock band mm-hmm. and we made a very sensitive acoustic album, which I just don't think reflected us mm-hmm. as, as a band. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Again, again, you know, listen, that's the album that brought us to Sweden. So I'm mm. grateful. I'm grateful to it for that. Yeah. But um, yeah, not 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 my favorite. Okay. Okay. Well. Um, okay. Last thing. When you look back on this period, obviously it is the transformative moment of your career. The success of Nervous Night. We wouldn't be talking probably without it. When you look back, what is your favorite memory of this period? Was it too fast and too chaotic for you to take in how special this was, or is it the something like a McCartney meeting. What is your thing, the favorite memory when you look back on this chapter and you think that defines well, this period? Well, the McCartney meeting was, was one way home. So I, that wouldn't count. True. True. Um, but the, the whole nervous night thing, I would have to say it's moments in, in the studio moments of right. creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, coming up with, with, you know, guitar parts, lyrics, moments in the mix, hearing it all come together. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, it's about the work. The work is its own reward. Okay. Okay. 
Another one would be the girl, the girls in the car on South Street listening to "Don't Take My Car Out Tonight." <laughs> that is a that fantastic was, memory. Yeah, that was that that was firmly implanted in my memory. Yeah, that's what it's all about. As, you know, especially back then, that's what it was all about. That's great. Um, okay, well, thanks for doing this with me, Eric. I uh, I love you guys. You know, I'm oh, so great. Thank you. And I wish I, it breaks my heart that I live in Denver, but I don't know when or if I'll ever see the Hooters live because you guys primarily play over in Europe, right? Yep, Europe and and um, mostly Philadelphia. Yeah. We're actually yeah. supposed to play uh, play it in, in, in Syracuse, New York, this summer, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. We have a whole tour, and we really don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, hopefully, um, either I can get over there, or somehow you guys can make it outside of the eastern United States, because it would be I I've never seen the Hooters, and that's a dream of uh, mine. So. Uh, I would I would love to. We did a video shoot of the last show of our last tour in Germany. In, mm-hmm. in 2018, which we have just finished uh, mixing the the uh, the music for, and they're finishing up the uh, edit. It's a tower show that's we're gonna that we're nice. gonna put out that we're gonna put out this summer. Excellent, that's great. Okay, yep. I'll look for it. There you go, Eric Bazilian talking about Nervous Night from the Hooters, 1985. Once again, I say this every time: we are so incredibly lucky to hear from great artists like Eric and to hear the behind the scenes scoop on albums such as Nervous Night that were, you know, cultural game changers in 1985. We're so lucky. Thanks again, Eric. Now, guys, I've got uh, three other deep dives already in the can and uh, lots more being scheduled. Uh, As bad as the coronavirus is, it's made it a lot easier to have great interviews with people because our schedules are wide open these days. So anyway, there will be more in the hopper coming out. Uh, I don't know how often. However we, however quickly Yan and I can get to them. But anyway, hope you guys enjoy this. Stay tuned. We will be back, of course, on Tuesday with another great episode. See you, everybody.